Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Today we're going to look at Galatians 2. If you have a Bible with you or you want to open a Bible on your phone, you can do that. Uh, If not, we're going to have it on the screen for you to follow along. But we're jumping straight into Galatians chapter 2. Who are, who used to, fly, who's been around long enough to remember what it was like to fly in like the late 70s, in the 1980s? I, I was born right at the end of the 70s, so I don't remember the 70s, but I remember uh, growing up in the 80s and the times I got to go to the airport in the place I grew up called Dubbo. Dubbo had a little uh, regional airport and you could fly to Sydney and a few other places out of there. And the experience of flying was a whole lot different than it is today. One, I never flew as a young guy because it'd take you about a quarter of your wage to buy a plane ticket just to get to Sydney. Who remembers how expensive flight uh, plane travel used to be? So it was something that rarely happened, but occasionally when we had to go pick someone up, it was a completely different experience from what it was today. People would just roll into the airport half an hour before their flight. They'd have a paper printout of the ticket that they got from the travel agent. They'd wander up, no need for photo ID. It didn't matter if you were who the ticket said you were or if your name was spelt wrong or your address was different. As long as you had the ticket in your possession, you're okay. Rolled up half an hour before, walked into the airport with your family. They walked you up to the glass doors where you walked out to the plane, kissed you goodbye at the gate. And uh, you, you had some luggage, no one weighed it, no one really cared how much there was. And in your backpack, you know, people had their smokes and their lighters and their cap gum that they were going to give to the grandkids when they arrived. And You know, they had their Swiss Army knife and their nail clippers and all this stuff, and no one seemed to care. And then things changed. And the whole process of getting to our destination uh, through flying has become a lot more complicated. Have you ever noticed that? They tell you now in their emails, get to the airport two to three hours before your plane is destined to leave. You know, just for an hour-long flight to Sydney, by the time you do all the thing and the rigmarole at the airport, you might as well have just driven there because there's so much rigmarole. But we know that if you want to get to your destination, if you want to get to the place that you're going, if you want to get into the country or into the city or in, that there is a rigmarole, and this is probably not going to sit nicely for me, but there is a rigmarole to get from where you are to wherever you're going. There's a destination. Jimmy, why don't you come help me for a minute? Where's Jimmy? Give him a cheer. Everyone's favourite. Everyone's favourite Ormo creative and worship director. There is only one, but he's everybody's favourite. Now, when you go to the airport, there's a whole lot of rigmarole. You can't rock up and have any spelling mistakes on your ticket because all of us take the cheap option and say, we don't want to pay any extra insurance, any extra bag, any extra anything. And then we get really upset if they challenge the fact that we didn't want to pay extra baggage, but we got 45 kilos of it. But anyway, you come to the airport and the first barrier that you get to is an identification barrier. So you're met at the gate and you have to pull out photographic ID to suggest that you are who you say you are. I've got to get this license on the big screen because it is terrible. Mate, Jimmy hadn't had a haircut for about four years. But you know, I checked this, James Cameron Bignall, yes, you were born in 1994. Some of you were like 40 in 1994. Jimmy was born in 1994. Well, once we've checked his credentials, then we move him on to the next barrier to getting to his destination, which is the scanner. Who loves going through the scanner? You know, they pull out their wand and you've got to walk through the gate and if something clicks, you know, they, they wave their wand all over you. Oh, it even works. 
And then they get there and here we go, I need a bucket to collect it in. No, don't just give me whatever it is you've got. You know, you've got your phone out. We take the phone and we put it through the scanner. What else you got in there? Keys. Keys go through the scanner and we keep going. And then we go, they do one of these ones and they usually go, oh, you've got a belt on, come on. Oh no, you don't have a belt on. You just, you've just got a, a button on your jeans, that's awkward. And we'll keep going down. Shoes, obviously steel cap shoes, we wanna put them through the scan to make sure there's nothing dodgy about your shoes. We keep doing the scan on Jimmy. Well, he's carrying some stuff in his back pocket. What's he got, bud? A can opener. What else? A spoon. <laughs> and a can of soft drink. Well, finally, he's clear. We get, I, I just made him put a really cold can of soft drink in his, the back pocket of his skinny jeans because I thought it would be really uncomfortable for him up here today. But once you pass that barrier, we take you to the next barrier. You've already spent half an hour just getting to the inner sanctum of the airport and you haven't even gone anywhere yet. Once you get to the inner sanctum, if you're going international, you have to pull out your passport and prove your identity again. You have to sign some kind of card that tells you, tells people what you are taking out of the country. And then they quiz you and off you go and you get into the little area where there's a few food establishments that charge the absolute earth for you just to have a hamburger. And then you get to the gate, you pull out your passport or your license again and your ticket and they check your identity again. And then finally you get on the plane. They make sure you're in the same seat. They check that all off and you start to fly to your destination. They move you to the next barrier of plane travel. And once we get to the next barrier, it's when you arrive at the other end. You see, you're not in yet because once you get to the other end, it doesn't matter all the processes that they've gone through just to get you to the other end. They want to go through all the same stuff again. So, you know, your bags get scanned and then you get grilled. If you go to customs, depends on what country you're going into as to how cranky they are with you and the kind of questions. And you've got to fill out a card telling them absolutely everything that you're carrying into the country. I, I read this week that if you're going to New Zealand, they can demand your passwords and uh, your account details if they need to break into your device and see what kind of things that you're carrying on your device. And once you have suited all of their requirements, finally, they let you in. Farewell, my friend. Give Jimmy a hand as he rides off to the snow-capped mountains of Queenstown with his shoes. You can have your phone as well, mate, so you can tweet great quotes from the message today. <laughs> Here's a whole bunch of barriers that we have to go through in plane travel just to get to our destination, just to get in. And if we look at the book of Galatians, it's very much the argument that Paul is having. He's writing, he's saying, I keep presenting this message. And the message is this, that there was a man named Jesus who was sent by God. More than that, he was God in the flesh and all that he did in his life and through his death, and when he was raised to life on the third day, that is enough. Christ has done everything. There's nothing that gets in the way of you and I having a relationship with Jesus. There are no barriers, but everywhere Paul goes, people want to stick up some barriers. They want to say, the message you have, Paul, is too simple. But you see, Paul's obsessed with this idea or this message of what it is to be in. He talks all the time about being in Christ. In other words, he says, if you want a relationship with Jesus, it's got nothing to do with you. It's all got to do with Jesus. And if you want to be in with Jesus, don't lean on your own goodness or your own great behavior. Lean on what Christ has done. 
And so Paul, right through his letters to the New Testament church, talks about being in Christ. Let me give you some examples. The next chapter, Galatians 3, he says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed clothed yourselves with Christ. In other words, you are in because of Jesus. And through faith in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. See, in Christ we're made alive. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Ephesians 4, verse 1, 4 to 7. For he chose us in him, or in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined for us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one or in Christ or in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. To Timothy chapter 1. He, Jesus, has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Hear that again. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything you have done. Paul's going to beat this message home to us chapter after chapter after chapter through Galatians and through every book that he writes. Your standing before God, your capacity to have a relationship with God, your welcome into the family of God has got absolutely nothing to do with what you've done. It sounds way too good to be true. It sounds way too simplistic. But he says your capacity for relationship with Jesus is what he has done. It's through Christ. It's in Christ that we find grace and hope and forgiveness and redemption. Paul keeps beating this message home. His message is so simple. Through grace, we're invited in. Through grace, we're invited into a relationship with our Creator. Through grace, we're invited into a relationship where we can find forgiveness. Through grace, we're invited in to a family. Through grace, we're invited in to a brand new life eternally with Christ. Through Christ, we're invited in to all the riches that God has for us. It's such a simple but such a beautiful message. But time and time again, people wanted to add to the message. And last week we talked about grace plus. You know, people want to say, it's not just grace, it's, it's grace plus what you do, it's your behavior, it's grace plus your capacity to earn your own salvation. You know, we talked about the fact that people constantly wanted to add to the message of grace. And Paul picks up that thought as we jump into Galatians 2 this week because people are continuing to push him on the message of grace. You see, people didn't want to believe that it was just as simple as leaning into all that Christ had done. That, that to become an insider, that it had nothing to do with our goodness or our capacity to do the right thing. It had all to do with what Christ has done and the free gift of grace that he offers us. And so despite the simplicity of that message, he kept butting his head against people that wanted to say, no, 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 we need some better definitions about who is in and who is not. 
And for some of them, it was a discussion around ethnicity or background or religious tradition. But they constantly were asking the question of what actually makes you someone that's in with God? What actually do you need to do to make yourself right with God? And Paul keeps coming back and saying, nothing. The only thing that gives you the capacity to be right with God is the grace of God given through us in and through Jesus. But we keep having this battle of who's in and who's not. We even have it today. We, we ask the question of who's in. How do we know who's in? And so we create barriers for people. And Paul addresses some of the barriers in uh, this New Testament environment in the region of Galatia, these churches that he was planning. But I reckon the barriers that were created for people today coming into a loving, saving relationship with Jesus are exactly the same as some of the barriers that people find today when they encounter the message of Jesus and his love and his grace. I would say the first barrier that Paul wants to address out of Galatians 2 is the barrier of, of, of our appearance. Or what I would say is the infatuation we have with how we look. People were infatuated by how they look. Listen to how Paul starts Galatians 2. He says this, After 14 years I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. For I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. In other words, he's building an argument where he says, okay, you guys keep telling me that what I'm saying is not enough, that there's, there's an addition to the good news about Jesus. He goes, well, I went to the heart of the matter. I went to the people that walked with Jesus. I went to the place where the church was born. I went to the ones that you esteem as great leaders and I told them what it was that I was preaching. It's like when I have to rock up the gateway and give account for what it is that I say here at Almost. So he goes, I went to the head honchos of the early church and I gave them a summary of what it was I was preaching in the churches. I just want to make sure that I wasn't saying the wrong thing. He goes on. He says, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. So we don't think a lot about, you know, it's funny, Paul goes from, the, I went to tell them what I was preaching and I took a friend, Titus. It's funny the link he makes there, he goes, not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. What's that all about? You see, circumcision was a physical thing, a physical act that was done that actually told people whether you were in or not. In the early kind of Jewish community, if you were circumcised, it was a physical symbol that you were an insider. And when the Bible talks to those that were outside the community, what was one of the things that was required of them? to go from an outsider to an insider, it was to get circumcised. Now, it's not like people walked around and, and they go, well, I can see. It, but people knew they were at the ceremony as a kid. They knew the story of the family. They knew that there was a physical mark in that guy's body that told you whether he was an insider or not. And see, some of the people that are agitating in the Galatian churches, their big issue is circumcision. And one of the issues for them is, well, how do we know? How can we tell by looking at somebody, whether they're in or not. And Paul says it's no longer about what you can see in their physical flesh that makes somebody an insider. You're missing the point. And so Paul says, I came to the head honchos in the church and I told them the message of grace that I was preaching. And I took my friend Titus, who was an uncircumcised believer, and guess what they didn't add to my message? 
the requirement for Titus to go through that physical reality so that everybody could see that he was one of us. You see, the message of grace doesn't require us to look a particular way to be acceptable to Jesus. We live in a culture too that's ex- that is infatuated with the way we look. Ha- have a look at this little video. It's a little bit of a fun parody, but have a look at this insight to the culture in which we live in and ask, is the, is the question any different? This is nothing better than this, right? This is the greatest. Unbelievable. Look at this. I can't believe it. <gasps> Madison Marie, will you marry me? You hired a photographer, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's right. Yeah. I am so sorry. Do you mind um, mind actually coming a little bit closer? I just, I don't know if it's going to share that well, if it's like so far back. Madison Marie, will you marry me? This is still from the back. Do you mind if we just switch spots so that the camera's... Madison Marie, will you marry me? Oh, my, my hair is up and I didn't realize. Do you mind if you scoot back so we get the skyline in the background? Madison Marie. Cut. Sorry, I don't like my middle name. Uh, can I take a look at that? I just want to see if it's... I wanted this to be a surprise, but at least you could have given me a hint. I don't look good in any of these. Okay. I'm sweating right now, and this can't be good for my complexion. What are you talking about? The lighting is, like, really harsh. It probably looked like a Picasso painting. It's... Cloud-wise, what are you thinking? More? Yeah. See, when, you, when you turn around, is right. it already going to be open? Yes. Madison Marie. I'm already wearing it. Oh, all right, take it. Okay. Give me the ring back and oh. we'll start from the top. Okay, okay. okay. I read a blog, the perfect time for engagement is like 5 to 5.30. I'm trying to do something fun for you and you ruin it. Ruin? Every... Oh my gosh, okay, I let's don't try. know if I can even do this anymore. All right, here we go. Well, you're going to be that, you're going to be turned around right. anyway, so I'll just start right. on my knee. Thank you. You got a double chin in this one? Switching things up, we're going to have camera guy here, sound guy right here, John, continuity stake, right knee, I'm going to go left hand. It's going to be bigger, right? Can you Photoshop that? As soon as he opens the box, we're gonna have a sweeping zoom motion and then coming all the way up, revealing the beautiful skyline. I'm going to say yes, and it's gonna be great. All right, from top. So then I'm gonna either go here or here. What do you okay, think? How about, or we could go this way. Right? I feel like no one sees me though, because my face is pointed That's fine. out. No one needs to see your face. <laughs> say it a little bit more like you believe in it. Like, do it. How would I say it? Marrying you would be hashtag relationship goals. Who says that? You will! <laughs> Rolling! I just want it to be like how they do it in the movies. I don't know, I'm just not feeling the production value in this. Production? What What do you want from this? Oh, uh, I don't know, first thing that comes to my mind? La La Land. La- they didn't even get married! Spoiler alert! Cut. Madison's engagement. Take 43. Great, hurry. First positions. Put that somewhere. First positions? Here we laugh, but we live in a culture that is obsessed with how people see us. Now I read blog posts on you know getting the f- perfect Instagram photo and getting the perfect I- impression, so that when people see the life that we live, they actually believe it to be something that's not real. And so some of us in in the social media world spend half of our time trying to convince everybody else that we have the life that they wished that they had. 
You know, so people get stuck. They, you know, they're scrolling through Facebook or Instagram and, and they're looking at how everybody else has got it easy with their parenting and everybody else is the perfect parent and everybody else is so good at, you know, doing things with their kids and everybody else just, you know, has the most ideal relationship and they never fight and they're always having great times and they're always at the beach and they're always doing all this fun stuff because we're so convinced that we need to convince everybody else that we're okay. Now, that's the culture we live in, but what happens when we bring that into the church? See, I reckon one of the barriers that we create for people is we're trying to help them discover Jesus and what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. But one of the first things, and I've heard this come from people's mouths, I don't fit, I don't look right, I don't sound right, I don't speak the right way. Because they come in and they look at everybody else that's trying to project the perfect picture of life and the perfect picture of Christian faith and the perfect picture of devotional life and the most upright, sin-free lives possible. You know what? If that's what's happening for you, fantastic. Live with authenticity. But we as people need to be honest about the struggles and the challenges and the realities of life, the doubts that we have, the challenges that we face. And anybody that walks through our doors, we say this all the time, everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. You know, one of the things I want them to discover when they come in here is a bunch of ordinary people that day by day are getting transformed by the grace of God, that every day look a little bit more like Jesus. You know, this isn't about just accepting the life that we've got. This is actually allowing Jesus to transform the life we've got. But not so we can convince everybody else that we've got it all together. But because when we are transformed to be like Jesus, he actually knows the best for us. He actually wants the best for us. And so our goal isn't convincing all of you. Our goal is actually, I want to learn to live life the best way possible. I'm going to keep walking towards Jesus. But you know what? We want people to come in here and go, I don't want people feeling like they don't look right, they don't sound right, because we've convinced them that to have a relationship with Jesus, you've got to look a particular way. I reckon it's one of the barriers that we put in the way of people discovering the grace and the mercy of God. The second barrier is one that uh, is probably the most consistent one you hear that's leveled against people of faith and against churches. And, and Paul addresses it in his letter to Galatians. I would say the second barrier is a life of inconsistency. The word you hear more often than that is the word hypocrisy. In other words, we're inconsistent with our words and our actions. We say one thing, we live another. Paul goes on to take on Peter, like the pillar of the church, You know, Peter, the one that Jesus said to, on you I will build my church. Paul has a run-in. Man, it takes guts to confront someone like Peter. And Paul does it, but doesn't just do it so no one can hear. He actually ends up doing it publicly in front of a whole bunch of people. He says this to Peter. In Galatians 2, he's referred to as Cephas. But he says to Peter, when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Now, James was one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. So before certain people came, he used to eat with the Gentiles or the uncircumcised believers. But when they arrived, Peter began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those that belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. What he's saying is, 
Peter had accepted this message of grace. He bought into this message of grace. He knew that the story of Jesus wasn't just for a set, select group of people, that God had done a brand new thing. And that his message of grace was for all people at all times, no matter where they live, no matter what their background, no matter what their religious traditions. This was the good news of Jesus. And Peter had bought wholeheartedly into this gospel message. But there was still something in Peter when those that hadn't bought into it came to check out what was happening, that the old way, the old traditions started to rise up in him. So Paul says, mate, when you're hanging out here with all these new believers, these people that hadn't lived the traditions that you'd lived, you know one of the things we have to understand? When people come to faith in Jesus, there's going to be a lot in their story and in their life that's going to look really different from person to person. Finding grace in Jesus doesn't mean our lives are transformed and redeemed overnight. There's going to be mess that we carry into that. And, and the Bible talks about a process where, where we come to faith in Jesus. It talks, it's a word that you know, we throw around in churches a little bit called justification. There's a moment where we are made right with God that happens in a moment. And our status before God as part of his family never changes. But then the Bible talks about this process called sanctification, where day by day, our lives are being transformed. You see, when we are justified, when we come into relationship with Jesus, all the mess and all the baggage and all the bad choices and all the habits and all the things that we've lived and done and experienced to that point, they don't all just drop off overnight. Some change. But there's a process. And here's the thing. You're all works in progress. And you'll never quite get there until the day of glory when you stare Jesus face to face. You've all got some rough edges. You've all got some things that right now Jesus is trying to redeem. We just have all learned to make them look a little bit more acceptable. But Paul calls out Peter and he says, Peter, you're actually living this free life, this life of grace, until there's some people that come into your world that you fear. And now your words and your actions aren't lining up because you've now separated yourself. You know all the heavyweights from Jerusalem, all the religious heavyweights that preach circumcision and tell you what you have to eat and tell you about all the laws that you have to abide by? Now they've come to visit. Peter, you started to pull back from hanging out with those that have just discovered grace in Jesus for the very first time because they don't look like you. They don't act like you. And they haven't got it all together yet. And Paul publicly calls Peter out for his hypocrisy. Man, some days we've got to call each other out for our hypocrisy. You know, people say the church is full of hypocrites. I agree with them because I'm one of them. Because there are days that I, like you, will have our words and our actions not marry up. Why? Because we're not perfect people. So if you're here and you want to say that the church is full of hypocrites, you're right. Hopefully they were a bunch of hypocrites that are trying to actually bridge that gap. So that what we say about ourselves and the way we act. So when we stand up here and say that we need to be generous and care for the poor, well, you actually see that in our actions and the way we live our lives. When we stand up here and talk about what it means to show grace to broken, unlovely people, I hope that that's your experience of what we live in our lives. You know, I hope that day by day we are being redeemed to be more like Jesus. We're not going to get it right yet. But one of the great barriers for people experiencing the grace of God is when we're inconsistent. We need to help each other with that. We need to point it out. We need to show each other the times when the way we're living our life is not marrying up to the words that we're preaching. And if you want to be effective in mission, if you want to be effective in reaching your friends and your family, you've actually got to be so aware of how your actions and your message line up.
Because the first thing people are going to call you on is hypocrisy. And Paul calls Peter on hypocrisy. You know, infatuation with how we look, an inconsistency in how we live, two barriers that stop people coming to faith in Jesus. Number three, I'm going to call it inferiority. You like I'm using all the ins, you know, it's a preacher's trick. Most of my preparation time is trying to find the rhythm in the word, no. I'm going to talk about inferiority, but Paul says this in Galatians 2. He talks about how he's gone to Jerusalem and he's met with those that are held as the pillars of the church, the leaders of the church. He says this in verse 6. As for those who are held in high esteem, in other words, these legends of the Christian faith, these rocks and pillars of the church, as for those, whatever they were makes no difference to me because God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. Who they were means nothing to me because God does not show favoritism. You know, one of the things we have to be really careful of today, we live in a world that craves and worships celebrity. Where we convince people that, you know, the more you have greater value, the more celebrity worth you hold. And we all like to be able to name drop and talk about the people we know who've done this or been there or, you know, played sport for this team or you know, made it on TV for this reason. And there's something in us that loves to align ourselves to this celebrity culture. And there's something in it for a bunch of you young guys, you teenagers, young adults here today, you live in a culture that makes you want to crave and chase celebrity. There's something in you that says, man, wouldn't it just be great if, if I could succeed and if I could have 100,000 Instagram followers and if I could get on TV or if I could be a rock star or a movie star, or yeah, there's this drive and this desire for celebrity. And we bring it into the church, and Paul says this, you know what, I went to the, the, guy, the guys that walked with Jesus. Like if there's a celebrity in the Christian faith, I met with them, but guess, guess what? Who they were doesn't matter. Because God does not show favoritism. Yes, some of us have got to be really careful that we don't create celebrities in the church. Because you know, I've met countless people who have fell away from their faith because they didn't put their faith in Jesus. They put their faith in a celebrity pastor or a celebrity Christian or someone that they thought had it all together. And guess what? That person messed it up and their faith crumbled. If you're going to put your faith in any person, no matter how, they, how together they seem or how articulate they are, and, and you know, I reckon it's great that we have access to resources from great churches and great preachers and great worship teams and that we can listen to and engage with. But the minute we start to put our faith in somebody else and not Jesus, we start building a foundation that's not good. And one of the barriers we put in place is we actually point people not to Jesus, but to others. And suddenly they start to believe that if I'm, if I'm going to make it, if I'm going to have it all together, that the trajectory is to be just like them. You know the trajectory we want to set people on? is to be just like Jesus. Because no celebrity pastor or no celebrity worship leader or no celebrity Christian or no Peter, James and John that walk the earth with Jesus and now lead the church, God sees them no different to the way he sees you. He sees them no different to the way he sees you. No matter what your story is, what your background is, God shows no favoritism. The Bible says that we are all his children and he loves us equally. No matter what you've done, 
doesn't matter what you've achieved. It doesn't matter how articulate you are or how many great messages you've preached in the church or you know, whether you serve on the kids' team and you make it to the top. It doesn't matter what you do. That's, we all do that because it's good to serve and use our gifts to bless others. But we don't do it because God's going to love us more. And if we ever make people feel like the only way that they're going to be worthwhile and worthy to God is if they have the capacity to make it, we just create another barrier that stops them getting to Jesus. The final one, and I'm not going to dwell on this because we looked at it a little bit last week, is a whole barrier of ineligibility or behavior. How we behave actually matters. Paul goes on. He confronts Peter and he says, you know what? You're crazy, Peter. You used to hang out. You accepted the message of grace. And then all these kind of religious heavyweights come up from Jerusalem and suddenly you start pulling back from the people that you know, finally discovered what grace in Jesus is. And you start living a life different to the one that you're preaching. He then goes on and expands it. He says this, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by observing the law. So Paul builds the message that he's already been building. He goes, You, you don't come into relationship with Jesus through good behavior. You will never be good enough. If you want to take the behavior track, you will never be good enough. He says, we know that we are not justified. We do not come into faith and relationship with Jesus by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. What is faith? Faith is just a step of trust. How do you come into relationship with Jesus? By taking a step of trust that says, I know that I can't behave my way into God's good books. And that's okay. Because Jesus isn't asking me to. He's actually just asking me to put faith in what he has done. Paul expands this message. We too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ. Is this thing by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. And listen to what Paul says. Here he comes back to the message of grace. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. In other words, Paul says this, when Christ gave his life for you on the cross, he did it because he knew that you couldn't behave yourself into relationship with him. He knew you're broken. He knew you've got the capacity for sin. He knew that even though you are being transformed and redeemed, if you put your faith in him, that you're still going to muck it up sometimes. You're still going to speak a harsh word. You're going to still send a stupid email. You're still going to make some dumb decisions that affect you and your family and those around you. You still muck up sexually. You still open the wrong things on your computer. You still speak angry words. You still speak gossip. You still speak slander. doesn't matter who you are. You've got the capacity for that. But guess what? It's not about your capacity to actually make yourself good enough to get into God's good books. 
The message of Jesus is this. It's all about what Jesus has done. And Paul says this. He's broken down the wall. He's broken down the barriers. He said to us, there is no barrier around how good you are and how smart you are and how articulate you are and how you look. All all your traditions, all your sinful past behavior, all your dumb choices, that's no barrier to having a relationship with Jesus. And it doesn't matter how smart you are and how much you know, that's no barrier to having a relationship with Jesus. He says your behavior, your your capacity to earn favor, it's no barrier to having a relationship with Jesus. Your sin is no barrier to having a relationship with Jesus. And Paul's going to preach this, and we're going to keep coming back to it time and time again. He says, you want to know what the message of Jesus is, what the good news of Jesus is? There is nothing that can stop you experiencing the love and grace of God. Because everything that needs to be done for you to have your sins forgiven, for you to have your eternity secure in relationship with a loving God, for you to be redeemed and restored, for you to be made new, for you to have those things in your life that are broken, being redeemed and transformed and made new. And one day, all those things will be changed and transformed. There is nothing you can do to earn that. All you have to do is accept the thing that Christ has already earned for you. So Paul says it's all about faith in what Jesus has done. Now, there's one thing for us to do. And it's not a behavioral thing. It's not an earning thing. It's actually by taking a step of trust. The Bible talks about a moment where we put our faith in Jesus. And what does that mean? It means that we say, okay, Jesus, I'm sick of trying to do this my own way. I'm sick of trying to work it all out for myself. I'm going to take a step. I'm going to make a conscious decision to put my trust in you. And the Bible says that when we do that, His grace is poured out on us. His love is poured out on us. His love is poured out on us regardless if we make that choice or not. His favor is poured out on us. We are welcomed into His family. Our sins are forgiven and our life is transformed. Let me get the band to come and join me as we close this morning. Paul's message. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I want to give us a really uh, simple response this morning. You know, if you are here today and you have never chosen to put your faith in Jesus, in just a moment, I'd love to lead you through a prayer where you can actually, with your own words and in your own conscious space, make that declaration that you choose today to put your faith in Jesus and what He has done. And that, you know, no longer are there any barriers that stand in between you and being welcomed into the family of God. There's no insiders, there's no outsiders. It's just the open arms of a loving Savior who wants to welcome you into His family. And all you have to do is accept that invitation. And if you've never put your trust and your faith in Jesus, 
to be your saviour, to forgive your sins, to welcome you into his family. I'd love to just pray with you in a minute and, and just give you some words that you can articulate yourself to God just to tell him that you choose to take up his invitation. But there's another invitation that I want to give this morning. Uh, Paul goes on, and we'll jump into chapter 3 next week, but he goes on in chapter 3 and he says this, and I'm going to read this from Eugene Peter, uh, Peterson's message paraphrase, verses 25 to 27. He says this, But now you have arrived at your destination. So now he's talking to those that have actually chosen to accept the love and the grace of God and have actually put their faith in Christ. He says, Now that you've arrived at your destination, by faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. You see, you've arrived not because you earned your way there, but because you've chosen to put your faith in Jesus and what He's done. So now you're at your destination. By faith in Christ, you're in direct relationship with God. He then says, Your baptism in Christ Jesus was not just washing you up for a fresh start. It also involved dressing you in an adult faith wardrobe, Christ's life, the fulfillment of God's original promise. You know, when Jesus sent out his disciples, he said to them this, he said, I want you to go into the world and preach the good news. And the good news is the story of God's grace that we can accept through faith. But then he said this, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, baptism is a really important and a really symbolic way that we can show what God has already done in us. See, baptism isn't actually the thing that saves us. But baptism is a public declaration that we've accepted by faith the grace of God. And the Bible tells us, it commands us to be baptized. It doesn't give it as an optional extra. It says, you know, put your faith in Jesus and be baptized. And baptism is a ceremonial kind of very symbolic thing where we get dunked into the water. It's just like symbolically Christ died and then rose to new life. Baptism is this symbolic thing where we say we're actually buying into Jesus' story. We too are going to say goodbye to our old life and rise again to a brand new life in Jesus. And there was a washing element to this symbol that says, you know, when we rise out of the waters of baptism, we rise into a brand new life. We rise into a life that's redeemed and transformed. And there's a public element to baptism. You know, there's something you say, I just want to let all you know about what's happened here. I've accepted the grace of Jesus and now I'm going to declare it by being baptized. You know, some of us have actually created some barriers for our own baptism. If you go to the New Testament, you do a study about baptism, you'll find that the only kind of gap that you ever see between baptism is a couple of days. People chose to put their faith in Jesus and accept His grace and then when got baptized. It's just what you did. But we put all these barriers in place. We put barriers that say, well... I'm not mature enough yet to be baptized. See, what you're saying is, you've got to wait till you get your stuff together. No, no, no if, you, if you're waiting to get your stuff together, you've missed the message of grace. If, if that's your excuse, go and listen to this tape. CD, podcast, tapes are so travel in the 80s. Go listen to this podcast, listen to last week's podcast and remind yourself of the message of grace because it's not about what you do. It's about what he has done. But we have this barrier that says, well, I can't get baptized until I'm a little bit more mature in my faith. Or we have this barrier that says, I can't get baptized until I know a little bit more about Jesus. Oh, no, no, no. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you know. It's about what he has done. 
We have this other barrier that says, I've just got to get some stuff together in my own life. No, no. It's not about what you do. It's about what he's done. Right? There is no barrier for you getting baptized. If you keep putting these barriers up, keep listening to the message of grace because God wants to make it sit in your life in a whole brand new way because you need to hear it. You'll never be mature enough. You'll never know enough. You'll never behave well enough to get into God's good books, but he doesn't require you to because through Jesus and what he has done, you're already there. And you just got to accept the invitation through faith in Jesus. There's one final barrier we put to getting baptized. I hate crowds. This is not a scriptural one. It's not a theological one. It's just a practical one. You see people get up and they share their story and you go, I ain't speaking in front of no one. Well, I just want to say this. If that's the barrier for you, your baptism is not dependent on your capacity to be a great public speaker. Right? If that's the barrier, we'll remove that barrier. We encourage everyone to share their story because there's great encouragement when we hear each other's stories of what Jesus has done. Like the reason we encourage you to write on that board down there. There's great encouragement when we hear your story. But it doesn't say in the Bible, baptize people, have them share their testimony, and then dunk them. It just says baptize people. The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So if that's a barrier for you, we'll help you get past it. We'll do it in a way that doesn't force anything. If the reason you're not baptized today is you're terrified of speaking in front of a group of people, let me just say we're going to remove that barrier for you. We don't want that to be the reason that you don't get to experience this incredible moment where you publicly say, through this act of being dunked into water and raised up out of the water, I have chosen through faith to accept the grace of God and I am made brand new. I got a really practical response today. I'm going to pray in a minute for anyone that wants to put their faith in Jesus for the first time. But as we sing in just a moment, we do this kind of every year because we think sometimes you need to actually respond in this moment. And, and you know, we're convinced that nobody here hasn't got a barrier of baptism that says, well, my barrier is I don't have a towel to use when they baptize me. So we know that's not a barrier. But we reckon symbolically for some of you today, you need to take that first step of saying, this is my next step. This is the next thing I have to do. It's time for me to stand and publicly declare my faith in Jesus. And so what I'd love to do, or I'd love you to do, I was baptized as a 16-year-old, I think. Dubbo Baptist Church. Great day. What I'd love you to do if you've never been baptized, but you've put your faith in Jesus and your time, it's your time. Get rid of the barriers. Just come and grab a towel. We invite a couple of our leaders to come up in just a moment. We would just love to pray over you as you do that. There's just a card on there really simply that just asks for your name and your phone number so we can follow you up. I just want to encourage you to fill that in, hand it to someone at our welcome desk on your way out or come and hand it to me or hand it to Justin or hand it to James, someone that you know that you've seen up here, just hand it to them. And we'll follow that up. You know, if you're a teenager here today and you feel that this is what Jesus is calling you to do, we'll make sure we talk to your parents about it. We'll never do that without speaking with your family about it. So don't feel like you've signed yourself up in this moment. We'd love to journey that with your family. If you've never been baptized, this is your moment. We're going to have a baptism service in two weeks. Two weeks doesn't work. We'll have baptism service in three weeks. Three weeks doesn't work. 
we'll get rid of that barrier for you and work it out. Seven o'clock Friday night in the river somewhere, if that's the only place you can go, we'll be there. Because we want to remove any barrier that stops you actually stepping into the thing that God has called you to do. Hey, why don't you close your eyes with me right now? Jesus, I just want to thank you for your grace. Lord, I think you're going to have to drum this message home for us time and time again. But we need to be reminded that our standing with you has got nothing to do with our capacity for goodness. It's got nothing to do with our capacity to earn your favor. It has got nothing to do with our knowledge or our behavior or our goodness. It's got everything to do with what you've done and the fact that you choose to graciously gift us with something that none of us deserve a relationship with you, the forgiveness of our sins and an eternity in your good future. Father, would we, would we be people impacted by grace? Would we be our church? Would we be people that remove some of the barriers that we place in people's road? God, convict us of the things we need to hear today. For those of us that yeah, keep projecting a message, you've got to look a particular way or keep projecting a message of you know, hypocrisy or keep projecting a message of you've got to you know, make it to be any good at this. So God, just challenge us about the barriers we place. Help us be people not only that live in your grace, but become people who start to display it and tra- transform those around us by living it in every conversation, in every moment. Hey, just while everyone's got their eyes closed this morning, I'd love to give you the opportunity, if you've never, by faith, put your trust in Jesus, and today you'd love to just to accept his grace for all the good gifts that he wants to give you, his forgiveness, his love, his mercy, his compassion. He just wants to pour them into your life. The Bible just says it's really simple. We just need to accept that invitation through faith. Now, we just need to say, yep, Jesus, I choose this. I lean in. This is my decision. Now I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust what you've done. I'm going to choose to follow you. If you've never done that this morning, it's while everyone else has got their eyes closed, I'd love to pray with you and I just want to give you some words to pray. But so I can do that, can I just ask you right now just to raise your hand wherever you are so I can pray that prayer with you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to get you to yell it out any louder. Good on you, mate. Bless you. Anyone else here this morning? But for the very first time, just to put their faith in the grace of Jesus. Just so I can see it. Let me pray with you this morning. Cool. Bless you, buddy. Why don't we all just, why don't you all pray this with me this morning? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Today, I choose to put my trust in Jesus, to accept him as my savior, to accept his forgiveness for my sin, and to choose to follow him every day of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on, stand on your feet, church. Come on. It's a good day. The Bible says that when one person puts their faith in Jesus, that all of heaven erupts into a party. There's a party going on in heaven right now because of what's happened here in Ormo this morning. But you know what? As we sing this morning, for some of you, for many of you today, this is your next step. May yet some of our leaders just to come out. We're going to pray with you as you come this morning. Grab one of these towels. We'll just get you to move off to the side. We'll pray with you. Affirm that decision. And we'd love to celebrate with you as you publicly declare 
what Jesus has done for you and that you've chosen to accept that for yourself. Why don't you come as we sing, grab one of these towels. It's time to take that step of faith. Lead us, Jimmy. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.